So I'm a future-oriented person. I'm kind of one of those guys just like, okay, year's over. Move forward. What, what's next? And so I wanted to kind of give you guys a little sense of what's going to be going on in the next, uh, in the next year or so. And these are some for sure things. But just uh, one of those is Mark. This is an awesome, exciting thing. And he's already been bringing some ideas on how to continue to improve how we do worship and how it all fits together. And so excited about what Mark's going to bring. And so when we get excited about something, what I would love you to do is go ahead and grab your little thing and just give praise to God through loud, obnoxious sounds. So, all right. I'm going to regret this. All right, so... So the second big thing that we're really excited about coming up here, by Easter, we're hoping to open our youth property back up. Uh, some of you guys don't even know what youth property was. That. We, we kind of closed down our youth property two years ago and brought all these students down here. We've had about, we have about two and a half acres down the street on the other side of the school that has a house on it, a small chapel and a bungalow that's been kind of retrofitted, renovated. And uh, our goal is to really have our students return back to their own, their own property where they can kind of grow together. The youth group under uh, Chris, uh, Chris um, Gallipo's direction has been growing. It's been really, really, um, really exciting to see what's going on there. And your students are pumped. They're, it seems they're energized to give them a place of their own worship and to have their own worship on Sunday mornings is another opportunity. We're excited about that. We're going to see that opened up this year along with our other property. Um, it's not going to be opened up, but we have some kind of updates on that. People are like, what's going on with that? It's, it's been a bit of a, a, you know, a bear to work through some of the county stuff and getting our plan set down. I'm working through a PP process, not a PUP, and I forget what all that means, but my son's like that. It's called a PP process. But anyway, the... Um, <laughs> And the reality is that we're kind of waiting on one thing, and that is uh, the environmentalists need to check out the burrowing owl situation at our property currently. And that can only be done in March through the summer. Trust me, there's no burrowing owl pro- problem down at our property. I've eaten them all. So uh, <laughs> we're fine. We're fine. No, this is being recorded. That was a joke. Okay, moving forward. The, um, but these, these are things to get excited about. Uh, well, a couple more things, and then we can just use our horn blowers and go crazy. This year, as we dive into the Word of God, we're going to really focus in on some books. We're going to nail Habakkuk this week, Habakkuk, however you want to say it. But we're going to dive into Habakkuk this week. We're going to go through that for four weeks. We're going to take a time out. We're going to talk about our history initiative and stuff again. Where are we at with that? And then in through a, um, a quick communication, of, I want to talk about miracles. It marches up to Easter. On Easter, we're going to launch into the book of John. That's pretty much where we're going to stay. And we're going to walk through John at the pace that we're going to need to take it. And we're going to look at who Jesus is in the book of John this year. I'm excited about taking you guys through this book. It's one of my favorite gospels. Hoping that you're excited as well. Go ahead, use the horn blowers, nail it. All right, so, and finally... I just want to encourage you guys that um, one of the things is we understand as a, as a, as a staff and as elders um, that really one of the most important things, we don't know everything about church ministry and we don't know everything about how it should run and how it should go. And so we're, we're going to be looking here coming up in, near the end of the, end of the springtime. We're going to be inviting a consultant out. And this is exciting for us because a consultant comes in and helps you kind of see yourself from the outside, gives you information, helps you break up some old habits, helps you get back in line in some areas. So really, this is a, um, just, I believe, a move by our elders to show humility and the desire to continue to grow in the knowledge of what God is doing and allowing the rest of the kingdom to inform us. So we're excited about that. I hope that you're excited about that. We've got our spiritual growth campaign coming, all kinds of neat things for the year. And so I just want to give God praise and, and just ring in this new year. So let's do that together. Clap, use your horn blowers. Let's do it all together and just praise God.
All right. Now, be sure not to let your children have those or you will be annoyed in the car all the way home. So, but as we dive in here to this next portion, would you join with me in prayer? Let's, let's, let's gather together. Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you for the opportunity we have to get into your word, for the focus that we have for, for where you're taking us as a church. God, for the, um, the life that you're giving to so many of us in this new year, whether it's spiritually, whether it's physically. And Lord, with this book of, of Habakkuk, as we carry out and listen to the weight that you placed on this man and the message that you've delivered to us, we pray that you would enable us to apply it rightly to our hearts, be challenged by the need for, um, for what it's speaking of, and that, God, you would lead us well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. I still remember being in my car on my journey from uh, roughly up off of Van Buren, where I lived at the time. And driving down the 91 freeway, we came to the, I came just outside of, um, outside of Corona, rolling around that large turn where you see the golf course off to your right. And I was listening to the radio entering into Yorba Linda. And that's when the news turned. I, I didn't quite understand what it was. I think I just finished some prayer time. So I turned it on right there and I had it on KFI for some reason. And Bill Handel suddenly spoke these words. He said, two planes had crashed into the Twin Towers or one had. And then just at that next moment, the second one hit. And and they, I listened to it as they came down and all the chaos that had ensued. And all of us have a story like that. Drove on to school, pulled into Talbot's parking lot. We canceled all classes. We got on our knees and the whole class was praying. That's what I love about seminary and just the ability to just go, we're not learning anything. We're beseeching our God to connect with him. And in those next few hours as we prayed and we, and we talked theologically about what this meant, and I drove back down that same freeway in the traffic and the craziness and the fear and came to the church down at our youth property at the time was where we were, where we were at. This was being uh, kind of still kind of being retrofitted in some cases. We, we gathered for prayer and we bent our knees down there for the night and had a service of prayer and before God. And I can still remember the impact because you woke up the next day and the U.S. was no longer the same. Wouldn't you agree? The way that we thought was no longer the same. What's crazy is there's a generation of kids that, didn't, that, are, that are becoming adults that didn't have this as their experience. They're, they're going to grow up and they didn't remember what happened. They were too young to, to realize it or they were not born quite yet. And so this San Bernardino incident suddenly is like a wake-up call to so many people. What's going on in our country? And it happened at just, at the, just at the end of last year, so it's still fresh on our minds. And we're sitting here going, wow, where is the world at? What is going on here? And some of us are kind of those people who like to press pause, erase the past, think about the future, move forward, and you set your New Year's dedicate, you know, your New Year's directives, whatever you want to call those, and you're like, I'm on my way. I'm going to have this resolution. I'm going to march forward. Others of us, we're kind of the, we dwell. What do we learn? What do we need to know from history so we don't repeat ourselves? How do we, how do we contemplate what's going on? I'm the kind of guy who pulls out my journals and I'll read through those just to kind of prep myself for the year to remember what I've learned and how, how to move forward from the Lord. But honestly, I started thinking about with the chaos that's ensued in our world right now, there's a very big need to have a New Year's resolution for a lot of people. Because when there's things like ISIS and Russia and China and there's situations like the divisions and fractions between our police officers and, and our communities. And there seems to be this push with all kinds of craziness going on. We got a political year where we got 9,000 candidates running for office. And it's the, we, we sit back and we're just like, what is going on? You don't seem to be getting answers. Nothing seems to be forwarded. Even the worst things in the world aren't being called what we say terrorism when it is clearly terrorism. And we're just kind of like, God, what, what's happening here? 
And there's a tendency to want to set a New Year's resolution then so we can gain some control. I mean, let's be honest. I, we all have some New Year's resolutions. I've got some control I need to gain over my health, and that's not bad. And there's some things I want to do, so I want to make sure I set some goals. I want to review those monthly. And maybe you've got those. I think you should. I don't think we should enter into a year just, uh, just without any set direction and, and case where we want to see God take us. But the danger is that we can trust in the control that we suddenly th- seem to think we have. And we can begin to try to grab hold of control. And we can vote. We can get our control through vote. We can, we can lobby. We can use our money. Whatever it is, there's a desire in American life to control. There's a desire in American life to reach out and bring something to happen. And the reality is, if you think about the global scene and you think about these things, it is totally out of our control. Wouldn't you agree? It just, what are you going to do? You're on one boat. You can yell and scream and shout. But the reality is ISIS remains. Boko Haram still steals children and women all across Africa. They're causing a ton of terrorism. They're killing the church. There's clearly a a movement against the cultural understanding of the scriptures and its law in our American context with the the re-transformation of marriage and all the different things that are rising up. We're still fighting scourges like abortion and other things like that as Christians. And we're going, God, what's going on? Have you reached the point where sometimes my heart reaches in my prayer life to where you're sitting there going, God, do you even care about this stuff? Are you even, are you, are you going to just let it keep going? When are you going to act? When are you going to do something? God, when is this going to stop? When are you going to just, uh, just end it? You know, maybe that's not your thinking because you've always thought that would be wrong. You think as a Christian, oh, no, we, we trust God. He's... But honestly, there's a real sense that you and I should be able to wrestle with this. In fact, the prophet that we're going to look at, his name is Habakkuk. As he walked around in his time period, um, his good king, Josiah, had just died. This man had brought an entire revival to, his, to, the, to the country of Judah. Josiah had, um, was, was made king at a very young age. He had a very wicked father and a very, very wicked grandfather. Two of the worst kings they'd ever seen had brought in all these foreign gods and all this war and problems and all the sexual immorality and all this stuff that had come into, into Judah, all against God's law. All the things Israel had already, the northern kingdom had told, you, you don't do this, they introduced And now Josiah wakes up and he says, no, this isn't how it's going to be. We're going to go back to God's word. And they found the law of God in the temple and they brought it out and they reinstituted the first Passover they had had in a century. century. And this this revival breaks forth and they're tearing down the idols and all this stuff. And suddenly out of nowhere, he goes, I'm going to fight off this Egyptians who are coming up to march. And he dies in the war. One of his sons is brought forward as the king and he is deposed. And then a second son who's even worse. And now Habakkuk's walking around. He's looking in the temple as a priest. And he's seeing false gods being put in the temple. He's walking down the streets and he's seeing people abused and violence breaking out as factions are fighting in for power. And he's going to the, to the courts of their time, to the king himself and his, all of his people that he's chosen. And he's hearing no justice given to the poor. He's seeing the rich taking land and getting away with things. And the prophets that are surrounding yelling are being not listened to. In fact, he watches Jeremiah get thrown into a cistern. And you can imagine the discouragement of this man would feel a lot like some of us feel today when we think about the world. And you're like, Greg, this is supposed to be New Year. It's supposed to be happy and forward. Yeah, that's why I got rid of all that at the beginning. Because we're going to look at Habakkuk. 
And Habakkuk is not the, doesn't start off happy. In fact, he, he starts off in a very serious way. And I want to show you this. So grab your Bibles because Habakkuk's a man who's wrestling with whether God's going to take care of this stuff. He's wrestling with the question of national powers and problems. And if you can, if you can find it, you can open your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 1. And Habakkuk's in a, in a small section of scriptures called the Minor Prophets. It's a bunch of weird names that are in the back of the Old Testament. So if you find a New Testament, which is like names you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, keep, turn left until you find names you don't know. And then you're just going to keep kind of going until you get to this odd guy's name, Habakkuk. If you're in a big book like Jeremiah, go to the right. You know, Jeremiah, Isaiah, go right. You'll find Habakkuk right there. If you're tired of looking, you can just grab a Bible from under the seats. It's on page 785 in those. And so you're right there. So uh, you can join with us that way. So Habakkuk's an obscure minor prophet. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that he lived in the time period that I described. And he, and he lives at this time where King Jehoiakim is leading the nation, and he's doing a horrible job. He's a miserable king. He's a, he's a young man who's proud, arrogant, and totally full of injustice. And so he sits down his pen after having received a message from God, being a prophet. He says this in verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw the oracle. It's an interesting word, but I need to bring it up here for a minute. Because the word oracle in Hebrew means weight. It means heavy. It means this thing that sinks upon your shoulders. And, and I need you guys to hear that because you're going to hear a message that's going to be weighty. You're going to hear something that's going to be uncomfortable. It's a burden. And, you're gonna, and people have walked out for service kind of like, I don't know about this and taken off. Look, and you may want to walk out. I challenge you. Just listen. Listen. It's going to challenge your concept of God. It's going to challenge how, who God is and what he's doing because he's not the American God we think he is. And so we want to dive into this. Habakkuk begins with this concept. He's struggling over his trust in God. It's been challenged because God doesn't seem to care about all the stuff that's going around him. I mean, look, look at how he says it. He says, oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Notice the depth of his, of his communication with God. How long? He's been talking to God about this a long time. This has not been a small thing. For all of us in this room who hunger and thirst for righteousness, God, Jesus has told us you're blessed because it will be satisfied. But at this point, yet that hunger and thirst looks like a quiet time that's crying out, God, when are you going to take care of this stuff? It looks like a man who holds his Bible in his newspaper or his, or his website, uh, news website in his same hand and takes in that information and considers it in this world. And that's exactly who Habakkuk is. He is sitting there with these two things, wrestling and saying, God, how long shall I cry for help? Then you will not hear. Or cry to you, Violence! And, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. The wicked are surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. What an interesting picture. It's a very similar picture in which we have all these pieces and we see violence as we watch what's gone on in Ferguson, as we know the struggles that have happened up in San Bernardino, as we see violence erupting in all kinds of different manners and different ways in our culture. We see these contentions, these divisions, ideologies are getting stronger and, not, and sharper. And they're not working as closely together. Justice is being difficult. Some of you guys have struggled to find justice in a justice system. Others of you feel like you found it. Others of you don't 
don't know what to do about it. Some of us have gone to our banking systems and you've been, you, you found yourself logged out and you don't have enough money. And so now it's because you bounced a check because you did a small minor misstep in your balancing. You owe more money than you have. You find yourself constantly struggling uphill in a world. This is exactly what Habakkuk's wrestling with. He's saying, God, how do I deal with this? This is heavy. Do you not care? You look idly on it. And if you don't feel that way, you're not going to resonate with what Habakkuk's wrestling with. So to give you a challenge, I want you guys to fill in the blank here. The the blank is this. God, why won't you act against and fill it in? Maybe it's something big. Maybe you do struggle. Why won't you act against Boko Haram? God, why won't you act against ISIS? Maybe it's, God, why won't you act against the abuse you're facing. Or maybe it's, God, why won't you act to to save my child who is running from you? Why won't you act to to stop this this situation with the banks and and all this seeming injustice? Why won't you act to stop the the wickedness, the, the lies that are being told about me? Whatever it is, I want you to take a minute. I want you to consider that and write it in. Put it in there. Because you need to feel what Habakkuk feels. Do it. Don't, I'm not saying it for my health. You know, this is an opportunity for you guys to engage. Write it in there. Get it locked in. And tell yourself, God, this is what I'm struggling with. Because the bottom line is there are cases in our lives where you will come to, even as a godly person, a person who may follow Christ, or a person who loves God, that you're going to wrestle with the question, God, where are you? What's going on? Why aren't you acting in this injustice? Would you please move? Would you please do something and he, Habakkuk wondered this, and then he received something I don't think he really thought he wanted to receive. An answer, right? Do you ever really want the answer from God? I think we just want to complain. I don't know if we really want his answer. Because suddenly when God goes, oh, yeah, I'll answer you, we're like, oh, just kidding. I mean, I'm just, uh, just can I? And he does. God answers. And the funny thing is, I don't think God gives the answer Habakkuk was looking for. I think God, he's looking for, yes, you will rise up and there will be this revival like in Josiah's time and you will conquer and you will win. That's not the answer he got. I think maybe sometimes we're looking for our enemies to be defeated and all this violence just to go away and everybody to grab hands and sing Kumbaya and be gathered together, but that's not how God answers the question. God literally leans in and answers it with this. He says, yes, I care. I care so much that I'm going to deal with it in judgment. I care so much, I'm going to bring my justice. I'm going to bring my judgment to bear. I told you this is weighty. I told you this isn't easy, but this is exactly how God responds. He says, you see all this national crisis? See all this violence and all this garbage? Here's how I'm going to respond. Verse 5. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. The horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. And the kings, they scoff. And at the rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up the earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Fascinating, interesting piece here, because what he does, he says, there's a judgment coming. 
But that judgment is coming from a group called the Chaldeans. Not a term we use, not some, but in their world, that meant the Babylonians. Babylon was a, is an empire that exists roughly from about 605 up, for, up through about the mid-500s, a little later than that, B.C. So we're talking ancient history here. We're not talking modern-day stuff. But if you were to zoom out and take a map in your mind, just put yourself in the Middle East. From, you've got Egypt, Israel, you've got Turkey, and you've got kind of all the Middle East, including Afghanistan, all that stuff, over to India. And what you're looking at there in this picture is what's called the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was a brutal group of people. They would come and conquer a territory, take, behead the leaders, and pile their skulls up in pyramids in front of their, in front of their own dwellings. Because they thought of it as powerful and conquering, bloodthirsty men. These men were, were nasty. And one of the groups of people they'd taken over were the Chaldeans in, in a town called Babylon. Now, Babylon was a larger city, but a man had, a son had been given power named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was this interesting guy. He looked around, he noticed his time. He saw that Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, was weakening and the ties were weakening. Egypt had rebelled and they had become their own nation again. And so, Nebuchadnezzar Plaster decides, this is my moment. He rises up, takes over Babylon, the city, state, and then he moves forward up north and takes over the capital, Nineveh. From there, he starts to march out, spreading his power out until he takes over a larger area in what we would know today as Iraq and Iran. Conquering that, he walks up to the edge of the area called Syria. Now, the Egyptian king's not going to have this. He doesn't want to go back and under some foreign power. So Pharaoh Necho rises up, marches north, kills off Josiah when he wants to try to, the king of Israel, when he wants to fight him, and marches north, meets at a place called Carchemish at 503 BC, and they have a battle. In the midst of this battle, it goes back and forth until Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the army of, of Babylon, conquers and wins and takes over the territory. All this is occurring while Habakkuk is, is sitting in Jerusalem watching this horrible reality of, of injustice and danger. And God says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. These Chaldeans, these Babylonians who seem to be making some rumblings up north, they're going to break forth and they're going to spread out like crazy. They're going to conquer everything, just taking it over and over and over. Each little city is going to fall. And, and this whole thing is going to happen because I'm bringing judgment. I'm going to bring a judgment on Israel. They would eventually march their way up by, in 586 BC to the walls of Jerusalem itself, besiege Jerusalem to the massive point in which the people would be starving inside so badly, women would take their children, boil them in pots, and eat them for dinner. This is how dramatic this event is in history scarring the Jewish mindset from that point forward. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar would march and grab the people and exile them into Babylon, taking the wealthiest and the richest and the smartest like a man named Daniel and take them away and eventually leaving just a few people behind. This would just spread the Jewish nation all over the earth and they would never really fully come back to the homeland. They still haven't fully yet. And so this is the reality of what's going on. And when God says, as I care so much about this problem, that is how I'm going to deal with it. That's heavy. Can you imagine carrying that around that you've got to tell that to your nation? That you've got to release this information about horrible things are coming. This destruction is going to occur. And yet God is trying to describe his judgment in general to us as well. And so he gives us some descriptions. First, he tells us that his judgment is destructive. It's unstoppable and yet reciprocal. Let's get into this real quickly. First of all, is destructive. 
Didn't that sound pretty destructive? Rolling over cities, tearing down walls, the temple itself would be destroyed. And that's what we don't like about God's judgment. Let's be honest with ourselves as human beings. We don't like that God's judgment destroys things. Can't God figure out another way to do it that he doesn't have to destroy families? They doesn't have to destroy nations. They doesn't have to tear down uh, systems and, and groups. I mean, isn't there another way? Why does this have to look like this? Because God's judgment consistently throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is described as very destructive. Destroying even the soul. Tearing it apart when it comes in judgment. This is, the, this is a, a, a horrific reality. And it makes us uncomfortable. And we go, that's not God. God doesn't do that. God's the God who forgives. He sits up in heaven. He says, yeah, you can just go. No, but the reality is that God doesn't allow injustice to stay. Instead, he wants to deal with it. He cares so much about evil. He cares so much about injustice that he actually will bring about his judgment to do something about it. And this judgment is destructive. It's violent. Notice how he puts it. There these horsemen come afar. They fly like an eagle to devour. They all come for violence. Their faces forward. They gather up captives like sand. In fact, what's interesting about this is that the second part is that it's un, unstoppable. I, I went and saw Star Wars again last, last night with my kids. And they hadn't seen it yet. And so I'd seen it the first time, about 13 other guys from the church, and we all went out. It was, it was, it was fun. And uh, one of the interesting things was we were with the geeky, the geeky group that first night, right? It was opening night. Anything that was Star Wars, people were like, yeah, it's a lightsaber. I'm just like, it's a Star Wars movie. Of course there's lightsabers. And so it's like... But there was people were pumped. And one of the funny things is for the previews, they showed this Independence Day 2 preview, right? Everybody's like pumped. Independence Day, yeah! I'm like, I hate that movie. <laughs> Maybe you love it, I don't care. But it was the one movie I was like, oh, cool, aliens and humans and what's going to happen? And it's this huge, like, alien comes out of nowhere, giant space system, needs to be able to blow everybody up. And, and we somehow managed to eke out a victory because Will Smith can fly a jet into a, into a UFO or something like that. And I'm like, Really? Then they fly away all scared of the humans. I'm like, isn't that just like us? This was my first thought. How arrogant are we as humans that we always write ourselves as the winners? Think about it though. Who's going to stop the humans? Space technology aliens marching. They win. We win. We always win. We even have apocalyptic movies where God's going to judge the earth and we figure out a way to stop him. Does that not smack of arrogance by humanity? Doesn't that kind of show us off as we think we're all that in a bag of chips? And yet what's going on is that God's going, no. My judgment is unstoppable. There's no Independence Day coming here, guys. When he, God deems to act in judgment, he will not stop. What's interesting about this is you would have thought, no, revival would stop it. Some great thing would stop it. Actually, God had declared this particular judgment of Babylon. He had declared it to Josiah's great-great-grandfather. Hezekiah was there standing around, showed the Babylonians his treasures one day. And God, had a pro and God sent a prophet and said, just because you did this and all of your arrogance, those are the people that are going to conquer you. Small event in history that was ignored. Because two generations later, you have Josiah who's standing around with a great revival. You'd think, oh, obviously God's going to keep the Babylonians from destroying them. Now there's a revival, and yet that revival ended. And judgment still came. Well, they're going to stand on, their, stand on their mountains and stand in their fortresses and pull their arrows and their spears out and start yelling, we're for God, you can't kill us. I can hear the same arrogance in American Christianity. Who can stop the Christians? 
We're God's people. If God chooses to discipline us because we have given up on the things that he's taught us, he'll bring it. And we won't stop it. If God chooses to discipline or to judge the United States or judge ISIS or judge any of these other groups, if he chooses to do so, there is no stopping it. That's a weight. That's not a happy message, okay? I'm like, again, I just want to reference that I don't enjoy saying this. But we're referencing what Habakkuk is, is stating here. This is a dreaded and fearsome situation. And yet, we go, that seems so unfair. No, it's reciprocal. What do I mean by that? It means what you give is what you get. In the book of Galatians, Paul put it this way, don't be deceived, God's not mocked. Whatever one sows, whatever one puts out in the ground to seed is what they reap. You, you throw out some wheat, some wheat kernels, you get wheat. You go to put out corn, you get corn. And you get more of it. You throw out judgment, Jesus said, you'll receive judgment. For the judgment that you give is what you will receive. In pressed down measure. And what this is getting at is this old concept, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We've all heard that statement. It's called lex talionis from the Old Testament. It is the balancing act of law. All justice is viewed as a scale. We know the picture of of justice being this blind woman holding a sword in one hand and scales in the other. It's the perfect image of justice because it's supposed to be blind. It's supposed to not look at anybody's situation, color, economic, or anything. Now, when when she takes it off, that becomes a broken system. The balance of the scales is, means that whatever you've done should be balanced out with whatever the punishment is. Not too much or the balance is injustice. Not too little or the balance is injustice. And this is the picture of justice. And God says, I am a just God. And I'm going to bring about what you gave out. Where do I get this from? Notice this in verse 3. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look idly at wrong? What's this word? Destruction and what? Violence are before me. Verse 2, he said, why do I cry violence? Notice this down here in verse 9. They come for what? Say it. Violence. Where do they come for? They come for violence. Earlier, he says, the law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. In verse 7, he says, they are dreaded and fearsome. They're what? Justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What's interesting is in Habakkuk's prayers... God lifts his own prayer lines out and inserts them in as if saying the very things that you hate about what you're saying are the very things I will bring upon them because I will give back to them what they have given out. And the reality is that pride will be given back to them as proud. These pride arrogant kings were receiving a pride people that were proud people that were going to come and conquer them. These men who were causing violence were going to receive violence. And that should make us gulp when we start to realize, man, what have we done? What would be reciprocated in the injustices that we've committed? And this is what causes us to really struggle with this concept. But it's reciprocal. It's right. And so we realize that God is also going to do something weird. He's using evil men against evil men. It means evil. This is an odd one. But look at verse 11. And this is where we get this from. He says, then they sweep by like a wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is why God doesn't use space aliens to judge us because he knows we'd win. The reality is that he's using men to conquer men. Because men think they should beat men. This is where war comes from. And our ability to create war is from our own pride. And he's using evil men to conquer human evil. And we go, that's not right. That doesn't seem good. How do you deal with that? 
Well, let that bug you for the whole week because Habakkuk will take that up next week. So we're just going to set that down for a second. But the reality is that God uses evil men. That no justice on earth is perfect from any government or any system. The only perfect justice will come from the Lord who will make it right because he is just. Now, all this said then, he says it's hard to believe. Notice, notice again, verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Guys, we've been told all the time God's going to judge. That's the one thing that Christians right now are trying to abandon. We're, re, we're rescheduling how hell works and how long people will be in hell because we don't want to believe that hell somehow is this judgment that's coming. We don't like a judging God, so we got a forgiving God in America. This God lets you do whatever you want. He just forgives you, forgives you, forgives you, forgives you. But he doesn't care about the balance of justice. He doesn't care that the stuff that was stolen from you and they got away with it, that they're going to judge them, that he's going to get to them, that ISIS is, isn't going to get away with it. That's great when we realize that God is just. It means ISIS and Boko Haram and all of the saber-rattling from all the nations and every evil ever done will be judged. Amen? That's awesome. Everything done wrong to you, everything done wrong to any nation will be dealt with and it will not be overblown and it will not be underdone. It will be perfectly balanced in justice. That's the promise. Here's the problem. If you don't have a God, there is no justice. If you have a God that willy-nilly forgives, there is no justice. It's just survival of the fittest, man. Let them kill each other. Who cares? You shouldn't be for anybody except yourself. Which, that sounds like a pretty treacherous maneuver. Because you have no balance. There is no problem of evil. But God deals with the problem of evil because he'll bring a day of judgment, a day of justice in which all will be balanced. This is why we don't want to believe it. Because what God is doing in this picture is he's trying to wake us up to the evil of our own souls to warn us that judgment is coming. The reason we don't believe judgment is because we know somewhere deep down inside, all this stuff everybody else did to me is going to be judged. I think, yes! And I suddenly realize so many of you guys are pointing your finger at me. And I go, oh. Well, God, you can judge all them, but you'll forgive me, right? That's kind of the, the thinking that we have. And God goes, no, 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 no. You don't understand. There's going to be a balance. A lot of Christians are around thinking somehow that we're going to get out of this all because, hey, we're going to get away and we're, ne- we're never going to have to face judgment. And I, and I go, okay, this is interesting. I want to press pause there for a second because, look, it, it's very clear in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, is, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, after that comes judgment. But, but Greg, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. None of us, if you know Christ, are going to be ultimately judged in hell. That does say in 2 Corinthians, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and explain our good deeds or our bad deeds in the body and speaking to Christians. That our apathy will be judged. That how we acted amongst each other will be dealt with. That the injustices, even within the church, we're not just going to go like, oh, Jesus took that, we're good. No, it, it, there's going to be a day where we have to explain ourselves before our Lord, our King, Jesus. And that's to govern our hearts, is to govern the wickedness of our souls because it's still there. Now, praise God, there's mercy, amen? And praise God, he's doing a lot of good through us, so there's great rewards in eternity if you know him. But guys, at the same time, those of us who understand this, we need to see there's a judgment coming. 
In fact, in the book of Revelation, it explains the judgment that's due for every human being, whether you're a Christian or not. He said, behold, I, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had what? Done. A lot of people want to tell me, oh, you only go to hell because of what you, what, not believing in Jesus. No, you go to heaven because you trusted in Jesus. We go to hell because of what we've done. It is the good and the evil that is not equal to what should be that we are judged for. And if you are not a Christian, I warn you, there is a day that God is trying to get your attention about, that there is a day when he's going to balance out the justice. And that's what we want. We want every evil committed to us caught. We want every person who's done something wrong to us dealt with. We want ISIS and the Nazis and the communists and all this stuff. We want the atrocities of what's happened in this world dealt with. Amen? Every genocide, every evil, we want those people on trial and we want them rightly judged. We want a just God. So how can God forgive? How can he just go, oh, you're forgiven? That breaks the imbalance. That makes injustice. How can we have this balance? How can God be just in his judgment then? That's where Jesus comes in. See, there is a misbalance if Jesus doesn't die on the cross and bear your sin. The only way to have that scale balanced rightly, that God's justice is even and perfect, is in someone who, wouldn't, who, didn't, who was perfectly balanced himself, never sinned, never had an ounce of judgment coming to him, stepped into the picture and said, I will receive that punishment for them so that your justice is satisfied and they can be freed. The basis of your forgiveness, Christians, is based on the fact that the justice is satisfied in Jesus Christ. That the balance is perfectly right because Jesus bore the sins. He's the only one who has been perfect and can bear the sins of human beings. And in that made, being made right with God, you can have that relationship with him. Otherwise, there is only the imbalance of our, of our injustices we've committed and he will balance it back with judgment. But Jesus takes that judgment from you if you're willing to trust him and receive him as your sin bearer, as the one who's forgiven you. And it is in that that you have an assurity of heaven and the presence of God. Everything else, there's a problem of evil. And God will deal with that personal problem of evil through justice and a day of judgment. That's what Habakkuk reminds us of. And while we can rejoice that God will take vengeance and he will make all things right, we need to be warned that we have to face our own personal day of judgment. Are you prepared? Have you received what God's provision is in his son so that you can be forgiven of your sins, of all the things that you've done wrong? I hope so. Would you bow your heads with me? What a, what a great way to start your year, but to allow it to fuel, be the fuel of the gospel to praise in God. If you're a Christian and you've received that, you should let that fuel your praise. Your balance is set. God has given you the out. But if you are not a Christian, there's no reason why right now you can't receive that gift. It's offered by God. He has given you his son, Jesus Christ, to bear sins so that justice is meted perfectly. And yet it won't fall on you. It'll pass over you. Today, will you receive his provision 
so that that justice doesn't fall on you. If that's you and you need to receive that right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity. You just put your hand up. You're saying, that's me. I want to receive that gift. I need it. You don't do anything for it. It's freely offered. It is God's love and grace given to you. He is giving you mercy. If that's you right now and you need that, you're going, God, I need out. I don't have an out. Just put your hand up. I'm saying, that's me. Up where I can see it. Don't trust your works. It's not going to help you. There's only one route. If that's you right now where you're at, open your heart up to God and, and by talking to him, you can do it in your mind, you can do it under your breath, but would you just, just lift up your, you, you start with confession, confessing your sins. And what I want you to think about is that you're turning away after you've listed out those sins to God and you're asking him to take them and put them on Jesus who's willing to take them for you. And now that that justice has been made right, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life and to lead you through it all the way into heaven. Father, thank you so much that you've given us Jesus who makes the justice right, that there is no problem of evil for us, that you've dealt with all of these evils. You will judge them in the day, and yet we will be found um, saved. Not because we're good people, but because you are such a great God, a good, good Father. Would you just bless those who have made this decision today to walk with you and to trust you even more as they go? Thank you, and we praise you for what you've given us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.